This episode is sponsored by Outstanley. If you are a small indie studio or even a big one, and you need that extra push for graphical fidelity, then you would want to give Outstanley a call. These guys can up your game, pun totally intended, for game-ready 2D or 3D assets, animations, and UI to make sure your imagination is completely realized. Outstanley is a one-stop shop for all your visual needs. And as an extra bonus, by being a Game Dev Unchained listener, go to outstanley.com. That is spelled O-U-T-S-T-A-N-D-L-Y dot com. And say that you're a Game Dev Unchained listener. And you will get a special discount or bonus production for your order. Guys. Game development is already really hard, so why not make it easier by working with these high-quality professionals and save some headaches? Again, go to outstanley.com, like outstanding, just outstanley, and say that Game Dev Unchained sent you. All right, today's episode is pretty interesting. We have the great Ryan Kingsling that helped the beginning of my journey into ZBrush. Uh, We talk primarily about entrepreneurship. So listeners of the last episode about my focus this year is a new transition in my life. I'm not just a salary man anymore. I am running my own business that I'm actually documenting uh, my process and progress uh, to all Patreon supporters out there. So if you want to help support and give a listen to the exclusive Life Unchained episode where I talk about how things are going, you want to go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs and give some love over there. But this was a great episode with Ryan. We were able to talk about his beginnings and his transition and focus to his passion of educating the masses for game development. We talked through his failures and success and constantly him learning about this whole business world and what he does to prepare and deal with unexpected results. So I walked away from this interview learning a lot about Ryan, about myself and uh, the things that he needed to talk about. And it was very enlightening. So uh, this year, uh, starting off with our first guest, Ryan Kingsling, was a great move. Because it's something that I am really wanting to nail down this year as part of my New Year's resolution. Just the transitional period of running a business and learning on the go. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed. Thank you. What's up, everybody? Oh my god, talk about technical difficulties. Finally can hear me. This is your host, Brandon Pham. Welcome to Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. And coming with me, a special guest that has been patiently waiting, Ryan Kingsling. So I'm going to unmute you real quick so that everybody can hear your lovely voice. And here we go. You are on. Awesome. Thanks. Glad to be here. 
Ryan, uh, I've been a longtime fan. Uh, thank you for welcoming you, uh, welcoming me onto your podcast. Uh, this is the part yeah, of the podcast, of course. Uh, before we go into too much detail, I kind of want to spend this part to let you introduce yourself to the audience out there of who you are, mm -hmm. where you're from, and where you're heading. So, in simple terms, I'm CEO of Game Art Institute, and uh, I have just spent the last decade training creatives to um, get really kind of really artists to get creative tech careers, like really just fun jobs um, in the new industry. I actually got my start as a, uh, as employee number five, I think it was number five of Pixelogic and where we developed ZBrush and uh, helped them develop from ZBrush two to ZBrush three. And then a little bit further on than that. Um, but in that process, I kind of learned uh, my love for education and uh, just decided that once I left that, that was where I really wanted to make a, an impact in the world. And, um, and so I built ZBrush workshops. I built URTC, Visualarium. You know, I built a lot of initiatives. Majority of them failed, you know, largely burned to the ground of my own uh, making. And today, Game Art Institute's primary focus and my primary focus is training for character artists and environment artists and, and kind of meeting, filling the gap that traditional education leaves because it just you know knowledge isn't power you have to have something else you have to have execution this is an execution game so we train people on execution and that's been my focus is what helps people uh speci specifically creatives execute and achieve some level of capacity so that they become hireable so that's me in a nutshell where where we're going um is we have a new initiative we call vertex school and that is coming up, I think, in a couple of months. And we're building uh, machine learning training programs and a bunch of stuff to help creatives kind of expand into what's going to be the next uh, generation of tech. Dude, that's super exciting. I mean, one of the... I, I was uh, turned to you, obviously, in the early ZBrush days. I, I, I have your voice and your teachings uh, associated with ZBrush exclusively because it was such a new program. It was very new. And I thank you. And I think the community thanks you for kind of helping us navigate through that crazy interface uh, and everything about <laughs> character anatomy, man. Um Thanks. I appreciate that. But like your transition is something that I've been noticing for a lot of veterans later in the career where they found mm -hmm. education being pretty much recession proof. Uh, I don't know how yeah. accurate that is, but also like uh, as like a secondary passion and and some in some cases like yours it would become a primary fashion. And um, mm -hmm. when it comes to entrepreneurship. Uh, which is, I feel like one of the uh, main topics I want to talk to you about in this episode, like how, how did you figure that shit out? I mean, it's, it's, it's something that uh, I think in our traditional art school, we don't even have an elective that covers how to do business or I know. walk down that yeah. path. I mean, how did you, can you talk about the early days of testing these grounds? You're talking about uh, learning through your failings and being able to kind of truck through that. Uh, any insight on well, that? The, yeah. I mean, the first thing is it's not been figured out, you know, so <laughs> I'm still failing, still succeeding. And, um, I think the, um, you're right. It is something that 
is it's hitting a lot of people in our industry now is that they're heading off into education. And in many ways, it seems like that's the recession proof approach. But once you get into business, you realize, you know, business is business. It's, it's been around forever. There's a whole physics to the way in which businesses operate and that becomes its own thing. And it is not the same thing as being an artist. Uh, so you can quickly find yourself at odds with why you're doing it. And that's something that has to be kind of addressed. You know, and I got into business, um, unintentionally. It was an, I'm an accidental entrepreneur by all means. Um, and it was just, I, the company I worked for, the last company I worked for, where I worked for somebody who made me decide I would never work for anybody else again, um, was just a horrible experience. You know, it was just a, a bad boss and, you know, he was going through his own crap. So, you know, I'm sure what he was struggling with was real stuff in the middle of the depression. Uh, and you know, so all good there, but it was still a bad experience for me. And I, as a creative realized how little control I had over my life and decided I was going to get control. You know, I went off, I started freelancing and I realized I was just, you know, work, I was basically working the same hours plus more hours drumming up work. And then my wife told me that she was pregnant and, uh, and that we were having a kid. And I was like, I got to level my game up, you know, mm. <laughs> how do I do that? And this was in the beginning of internet marketing and all this stuff. And, you know, Jeff Walker had this class called, um, uh, product launch formula. Mm. And that class kind of opened me up to being, um, you know, they did, we didn't have this word back then, but an influencer who's launching classes and builds a business around that. And I had no idea what any of that meant. I just knew that, um, I had some standing in the community and I had the capacity to teach. I loved it. And, um, maybe somebody might actually take a class or two. And, um, we, we started with my own classes. We just were like, we're just going to offer this out and, uh, nobody else was doing it. So it just grew gangbusters. We trained thousands of people. We brought people into it. Um, we had partners, uh, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then more people started to flood into it. And then people were able to do this on their own through Gumroad. And so, you know, right around that time, uh, that's when it became more real. It became more of a business because competition was there. And there was more options for people to do stuff. So we had to convince people um, to go with us or do things on their own. And, you know, we had to figure this stuff out. And, uh, and you know, those were very difficult years. And they were mixed right with uh, just a couple of years before I was really unhappy with my own artwork. And so, you know, I had a team releasing classes and doing stuff. But I personally wasn't satisfied. And I was trying to struggle to figure out, like, what's my art? What's important to me? And what makes you know, a difference. And, um, and that struggle, man, I mean, like there was the business struggle. Uh, and in the beginning it was no, not a real struggle because we were in what they would call a blue ocean. So it was just, you know, it was a free for all. And as long as you were adding value, it was great. When it got to a red ocean, we started to struggle. And that's where we're at today a little bit is we're in a bit of a red ocean in terms of training and people are undercutting pricing and everybody's trying to go cheap and get, and they're doing normal business tactics. Right. And so, um, what I had to decide myself, and this is like, if we, if we bring this back to how do you, how'd you figure it out? I, I, I'd say I'm, I haven't figured it out, but what I have figured out is, um, you just got to find what you want to do, right? Like what's, what's the mission? What can you lead people in? 
And that's where I took two years. And uh, I took Game Art Institute. I, uh, I was working with a partner and we severed the relationship. I had a bunch of other teachers. I severed those relationships. And I focused on just what I wanted to do, which was basically get somebody a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to find a path where it's like, you can take that guy <clears throat> and grab some water. I had a class right before this, so I was talking nonstop. <laughs> um, I wanted to find that guy that was like working at Starbucks or the job I had, which was, you know, a night restocker at Costco, you know? And uh, I mean, I've worked as an, I've worked on an assembly line. I've worked in construction. I've worked in bookstores. I've uh, worked as a pizza delivery guy. You know, I've done all those jobs and I wanted to find that guy and give him a path to a job so that, you know, he goes from 20, 30,000, whatever this current job is to 60,000, but not just that, but he's doing something that he loves that would have not been possible before. And that in, in all honesty, I, I don't, I mean, traditional education is ill-equipped to prepare somebody for, you know, I wanted to make that difference in the world. Um, and we did, we built the boot camp. The boot camp is the, the, the primary vehicle for that. And, um, and that's the thing that I feel I can lead people. And that's the mission of my life. That's where I could stand up. I can be in here with this, um, in this meeting with you because I'm very, um, introverted, uh, even though I'm on camera and, you know, I, I kind of, I work on a persona and I project, uh, if I'm, if I don't have to do that kind of stuff, I don't, you know, I, I like to just kind of be behind the scenes. Um, but that mission of getting that person, that job, that was the siren's call that led me to kind of get through all the other crap, you know, I have to get through, um, which includes cash flow. You know, that's something you got to think about in a business is how much money do you have coming in? How much you, I love to spend money. I'm an artist, you know, it's like, I want this guy's tutorial. I want this thing. Let me buy it. Let me get it. Let me work with this person. Right. But I got to think, you know, do we have the students? Is the cash flow coming in? And and so there's these real business concerns. And the only way that I will invest myself, because I have to make tiny sacrifices, um, the only way I would invest myself is if it's a big enough um if it's a big enough call to what to my mission in life, you know, um, which that is, you know, because I now know what that is. I know I have one focus getting somebody a job that would not have gotten a job before. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I could definitely relate to that. Oh, my camera's all stuck. But uh, what, the, the one thing that's really relative to what you're saying is like, I'm, I'm similar in that phase. I'm probably several phases mm-hmm. back because you're in, you got your skin in the game longer than I have. But uh, <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of game developers that I do talk to, um, mm-hmm have found themselves running or a business or going into business is because they had a horrible or multiple horrible experiences and then realizing how little control they've had. I mean, I know personally, Mm -hmm. that's what I went through. Just, uh, Mm -hmm. I know you're based in Orange County. I I grew up in Orange County as well. It's not a lot of Orange Mm -hmm. County jobs. Uh, so, uh, all the good jobs that I've ever had was always in San Francisco, LA and that commute is insane. And mm. uh, just, you know, going back and forth in that, I think we talked about this many times before. 
mm-hmm. uh, really showed uh, how little control I had. And then, like you said, the onslaught of family really pushes you to grow up a bit <laughs> really mm. fast. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a very similar tale that uh, many game developers have told me. Um, and it seems like the only way to really challenge yourself and not get comfortable. And um, yeah. it's, a, it's an insane journey for sure. Um, it I, is. But it it's also if i can interrupt it it's um it's a journey that all aspects have because i know we as creatives tend to think of ourselves as like different because we're you know we're so far removed from other fields but um dentists have this for example my brother runs dentist office and they're basically artists they're artists in their field but yet they have to run a business and so a lot of all of there's so many people who start companies start companies because they're an expert in something they're an artist in something and they feel like they need more control but you don't realize the cost of getting that control and that's the conversation that you begin to have it's a conversation i've i i'm always having you know because my preference would be i go to bali and uh i go grab clay from the riverbank and go sculpt a bunch of naked figures and that's it like i would love to do that but then what do my kids get for education mm-hmm. probably crap you know <laughs> and uh it just goes from there yeah uh the, the constant need of uh looking at the whole family and all your dependents and being able to spread that that joy uh it's something that I'm taking from business and applying to my own life. Like the simple yeah. terms of income and expense starts to kind of spoil mm-hmm. into other parts of your life. It's like, well, I mean, yes, it'd be great to do this, but at the same time, you know, what, what am I spending to, to achieve that? Um, mm-hmm. And what do you have to give up? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So it, like in terms of um, self-education on the business side, I know there's a lot of like, uh, uh, trial by error uh, that comes with its territory. But what what kind of resources that you felt over the years have really helped you kind of forge this path for yourself? Like books, mm-hmm. uh, mentor, or any type that you felt like, hey, these are tremendous resources for anyone that is out there going through this or thinking about doing this. These are the five main or five top two things that has helped me. Yeah. Now I'm glad you asked, you know, cause, um, there's no shortage of consultants to help you do this. And, um, consultants love to get paid, you know, upfront. They love to get paid in the middle. They love to get paid at the end of a project. They love to get paid, but do they deliver results? Do training programs deliver results? You know, I have a business training program that I give, right. You know, does it de- deliver results? What is going to improve, uh, you, uh, and your, your capacity to, you know, be a creative and run your own business. And I mean, we've done everything. I, we started out, we spent 10,000 on this e-myth program in the early days. And we had a coach with us for a while. Then we spent God knows how much money on Tony Robbins and a uh-huh. coach there. And, um, the thing that ultimately shifted me and it took a while for the shift to affect was actually a, a group called wake up warrior. And they don't operate in the same way now. Um, but they had a, a boot camp that, you know, they just put you through this physical boot camp that showed me I was capable of more physically than I thought I was possible. 
of, of achieving, you know, and it's not just like exercise. It was more like, you know, you're, you get three hours of sleep, you're eating pancakes in the push-up position. Right. Cause it's like, it was a 36 hour event. And, um, one to give you an idea of it, one of the things was they wake us all up and somebody's behind. So now somebody's behind. So we're all getting punished as a group. And how do we get punished as a group? You know, uh, we just started eating breakfast. We got all the syrup on our pancakes. We're all ready to eat this. And what, do you, what happens? You can't use your hands. Everybody's forced to get in a push-up position. Your plate is down in front of you and you have to down, take a bite up, <laughs> swallow that down, take a bite up, swallow that. Right. And I got full beard and, you know, I got syrup in my beard. I got all kinds of crap. And, um, before when they first said, you got to do this in this, I was like, I was like, you're out of your effing mind, man. I mean, like <laughs> I'm paying good money and you want me to do what? Like I'm the master of my ship here, asshat. Yeah. You don't yeah. tell me what to do. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing it. And I was like, so I was like, no, uh, I think I'm out, but nobody else left. Mm. So, I, you know, am I going to be the, the loser the that leaves? <laughs> and the then pressure. there's the peer pressure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone's so actors. I'm in, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what your so, money's you know, going. I'm like, okay, yeah. we're doing it. And then in the middle of it, he's like, you guys are a bunch of pansies. If your kids were here, they'd be having fun doing this. And you guys are treating this like it's the end of the world and somebody's hurt your feelings. Your kids would be, their face would be covered in gunk and put your face in the syrup, cover that face up. Right. And he's yelling at us and screaming at us, but it all made sense. You know, it's just, it's how you see these things. And, and so, you know, that was, that was an event that happened, but basically the point of that is, you know, for a, and I can only speak from a male perspective. I, I don't understand the female perspective very well. Try as I might. Um, I have to admit my limitation there. And from a male perspective, you're a creative, you want to run a business. One of the biggest things that changed my life, uh, and helped me kind of get control over, over myself was pushing my limits physically you know, physically doing something. So there was that. And then after that, I got a personal trainer and we, I went from 155 pounds to 175 pounds and, you know, 20 pounds of muscle is not easy to lock in. Like you gotta, you gotta eat. I mean, I eat so much morning, noon and night Mm -hmm. and breakfast. I mean, I, I was just eating all the time, but that one event where I pushed myself physically and I achieved something physically that I didn't think was possible, that changed me. And so, you know, for some people that could be CrossFit, like you look at uh, Seth Nash, who um, lost all that weight doing CrossFit and, you know, the quality of life and the conversation I had with him, you know, it's just, it changes you when you as a guy realize that your body is capable of more than you thought you know, and you take some control over that, or at least when, you know, when I started to take some control over that, that's when things really shifted for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's something I feel a lot of developers get too comfortable with, especially, uh, I mentioned this many times in the podcast, uh, we would feel like that the, at the AAA development uh, level, uh, those are the highest quality and in most cases they are, but we forget mm-hmm. that those are five to eight year cycles. So the chances of them experimenting with new tools or finding new ways of doing things is very little. It's more like they're in the mm-hmm. rhythm of things and they keep at it. 
And so uh, when those artists or developers get out of that cycle, they are lost in a new world of uh, up and coming artists, uh, challenges, and it's just a whole different development cycle. So totally constantly pushing yourself and finding those growth moments is something I think uh, really helps with uh, being in business. And I, I like that little challenge that you had by uh, not taking things too seriously all the time because I find myself uh, ha- having that laser focus is great for certain things. But being able to constantly step back and look at the overall perspective. You mentioned family before. I find myself doing that a lot. I work from home mostly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by doing business, you just want to make sure you put it, you know, all the hours in to make sure that you're getting the utmost results. But, yeah. you know, in the we have to take a step back. So why are you doing this to spend more time with your family to enjoy life? Right. And if your kid wants to play ball, you know, those are moments that you should step outside of your little bubble and enjoy totally. the advantages of being at home and all that. And that's something I have to constantly yeah. battle with and to understand and, and, and get with, I mean, how was that transition? You were mentioning, you know, you started this journey, uh, with your first child, uh, about to come into the world. Uh, I'm assuming you have more children now since then. <laughs> two. Yeah. I got two now. Two now. Um, well, you know, I, I tell people I started, um, I started my business to have more time with my family. And that's like the biggest rookie mistake out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, um, that's like starting a family so you can have more alone time. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't work out quite that way. Uh, so, you know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I didn't understand, you know, the parameters of that. Um, and so the way I deal with it now is in, is just in cycles. So for example, right now I'm in a grind. I'm, I'm 12 hours a day uh, and I get about a two to three hour window with the kids. But as soon as they're asleep, I'm, I'm working. And so that's just the, that's just the phase I'm in right now. Cause we're launching uh, vertex and uh, we're trying to get a, a handle on all the new tech. So for me, it's cycles and um, I have that time with them in the evening. And then, uh, what I'm doing now is on Saturdays, I'm fairly religious about let's grab the skateboards, let's get the bikes. And I have a mission of what I need to achieve, want to achieve with them, you know, within range. I'm not, I'm, I have to force them a little bit. Cause I got to play that daddy role. Like my son would, he's a, uh, he's six and <laughs> he would watch Scooby-Doo 26 hours out of 24. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's relentless on that. Uh, so he needs structure and he, you know, and I've got him, um, skateboarding now. Uh, but I turn it into a challenge for myself. It's like, how do I teach this guy skateboarding, you know, and how do I teach him these different things? And so I'm, you know, it engages me because now I'm like, okay, how do I chunk this? So I got to teach him about different things like step stand, step stand. And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to create a YouTube tutorial of teaching six-year-old skateboarding. Right. And I'm not going to do that anytime soon, but that's my motivation. And it's like, I have this other side that's empowering my time with my kids and, um, and, you know, and so there's this multiple purposes to it, uh, that empowers them, empowers me and, you know, creates a, like a powerful moment. Cause ultimately it's my job that they learn to ride a bike and they, they skateboard, you know? Yeah. So I have to find a way to do that with all the other time. And, and it comes basically from giving that time a bit of a mission. And then, you know, every Saturday that's our, that's our time, mm-hmm. you know, together. 
that makes sense. Definitely, man. It's uh, it's something. I have a family of my own, and uh, what I figured, mm-hmm. you know, going into business with my partner is not just me and my partner. All the other time, I have to manage. <laughs> <laughs> giving i hate to say it like this but it's like it's like uh it's a worker uh worker employer type of mentality with the family sometimes it's like hey all right the kids have to learn this all right these are the things we got to learn and have fun with mm-hmm. all right got to spend time with mm-hmm. the wife all right i got to foster that love mentality so we don't get a divorce <laughs> totally yeah it so takes it, time i mean it takes time yeah yeah, yeah. and uh it's uh, but it, Overall, like I think uh, if I were to look back, uh, you know, I only started doing this just past year. So I've only been in the game for like eight months, just spending full time yeah. on this. Um, it's been such a fruitful eight months. Um, mm. You know, was able to kind of coach my son's football team for the first time. Stuff that I would never mm. do during the day. And um, <laughs> it, it sounds glory, you know, it sounds uh, glorious. Uh, in retrospect, but there's so much hard time as you were talking about that to kind of, uh-huh. uh-huh. because if you think of a regular developer's time and how they spent eight hours and go home, you got to do twice or three times as much just to maintain that, just to see 10 years of your fruit and labor later. Uh, if everything yeah. goes well, right. That's when you really enjoy things and uh, yeah. see the scale kind of stack up our way. I've had, um, I've had teachers, uh, you know, cause I, I've, we've been doing this about nine years. And so we've had, for the most part, we've had great relationships with teachers. If there's been any failing, it's been my failing of just being too busy and, um, you know, something that just the business did dumb, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, we've had a couple of instances where we've had partners that just turned toxic and, yeah. um, and one of them, uh, created his own school in the middle of me launching his class and just kind of sidelined me. And, you know, it was done really horribly in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I understood the pressure this guy wanted control, you know, and, and he needed control. So he took extreme measures, which meant, you know, doing what he did, you know, with our business relationship. So, you know, I'm not going to fault him for it, but at the end of the day, you know, that school that he created, you know, burned down just like some of my other businesses, because, you know, he, he thought you can go out there and you can do this and I'll get some control, but you know, he didn't realize the cost of that control. And, and today he, you know, he, he works for somebody else and he does some stuff on his own. And that's, that's a, that's a great solution for people. Um, when you have the day job and you have your business on the side, you know, that's something where it's like, you have the best of both worlds, as long as you have the time. Yeah. You can do that, you know, and, um, somebody who I admire, uh, for doing that right now is Chris Costa, you know, with his fly on the wall studios and he's set up a really nice, I mean, just it's structurally, I don't, I haven't talked to him in, in ages, but it's a beautiful system where it's like, he has his day job and at night, um, he just basically has an atelier where people look over his shoulders and as he works, mm-hmm. I think it's great. You know, that's a fantastic way to start. The problem that happens is when you quit the day job and it's like, now I have to be a provider because you're a guy and a guy provides. That's like, there is miles of baggage around, you know, what that means to be a provider. Um, But it certainly means a certain amount of money every single month. And that becomes hard, you know, at a certain point. I think that was one of the so. scariest steps to kind of um, wrap my head around because 
Uh, being a salary man for so long, suddenly uh, the checks have to come from yourself or you have yeah. a big project that pays off for the next few months. It's a different yeah. uh, type of thinking of how money is processed uh, that I've never had any training or talking to, you know, uh, I didn't come from a family of wealth, so I didn't have like uh, a bunch yeah. of mentors to tell to me about how money actually works. So I'm all, a mm-hmm. lot of self-education on that part. But uh, you're touching on a subject that is very important that I feel like a lot of entrepreneurship, they do cover a bit, but uh, it, uh, they stay really on the positive side. It's like, hey, you have that passion, you go for it. You have something that uh, the someone out there doesn't have a product for and you're uh, filling a need. But like the partnership, the relationship and uh, mm-hmm. the turmoil of that and going to business with friends and and uh, trusting oh. family and oh my God. If someone told me that, hey, yeah, going to business with a, a best friend or something uh, actually will be a, a terrible thing, you better be, a, <laughs> better be prepared to say goodbye to that friendship and nothing works out, right? Yeah. Was that not friend or the for business that. exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Would love to hear more about that side because that's something that I'm learning. Um, just do by doing this is just like uh, it's hard to it's hard to uh, grab a beer with a friend that like screwed you over recently. You know, <laughs> like the trust right there is not the same um, when something like that can happen because it really tests. Uh, a, a relationship uh i always totally. kind of compared it to like a second marriage it's like everything it's just fast forward 50 years with the worst possible conditions and you're just stress testing what you guys are made of basically and mm-hmm. uh would love to hear your thoughts about that I, you know, I made my wife and I went into partnership in this in the beginning, and that is one of the more painful things <laughs> to experience. In fact, just yesterday we we reincorporated as a C corp in Delaware, um, just because some investors that's what they're um, requesting from us, and uh, we exited my wife from the business, so she all the shares just went to me because it's too hard, you know, like we had to make a decision. What's the better relationship. And obviously the better relationship with husband and wife than business partner. I mean, that, that was just an ancillary thing. Um, but that's hard, uh, to deal with. And, you know, I think the primary thing that I look at now and that I like to, um, help people understand is that as a, as a creative, you're a business person, whatever, doesn't matter. You know, you might be an employee, you might have your own company. I, who cares? Either way, in today's industry, when the skill, the half-life of a skill is probably two years now, maybe yeah. three if you're lucky, yeah. Like, and you're having to reskill. If you are focused entirely on you as an artist and what you are a specialist in today, you will be out of a job in five years. Hands down, guaranteed, I saw it, I experienced it. You know, the, the whole world of digital sculpting that I helped, you know, educate and and i help like that world is still a very powerful very thriving world but it's much more competitive today and so much of that has been moved to different geolocations that pay different salaries and so that affects where i am here in california in laguna beach california and you're orange county so you know this Mm -hmm. place is insane Mm -hmm. you know and um so there's all these 
uh, these pressures and these things that kind of uh, affect it. And I, I've spent a little bit of time today trying to educate my digital sculptors to the fact that uh, they have to they have to wake up to realize that that there's a half life to this skill. Like digital sculpting will change, it will, you know, and you got to be ready for what's next. Um, it's still very viable. It's still lovely. It's it's you know, if I have time to myself, I'm not spending that time. Oh, let's go in substance painter and, and do some stuff. I love substance painter, but if I have time to myself, I sculpt the face, Yeah, you know, and cause it's so Ofer did such an amazing job of like making that a program that goes straight to your heart, you know, and you love it. And he, you know, God bless him. He, he spent, um, I mean, when I worked there at Pixelogic, he, uh, he would call me at 1230 at night you know, and, um, and he'd, he'd, he'd be working for another three hours after that call. Mm. I'd be asleep after that call. Cause I was like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he'd be in the office before I was in the office at seven o'clock. Right. So he gave his life to making this program that, that connects with people and, and changes their life. And, you know, you get a sense of it in there. Uh, but all of these skills have a half-life and, uh, we have to always be thinking about ourselves, not just as this specialist that somebody's going to trade time for dollars, but you got to think of yourself as a brand and a business. And how do you expand outside of that? And, um, education is one part of that. So I like to tell I tell all my boot campers, anybody who's in here, you know, I don't, the worst case scenario for me is they get a job and that's, they just grind on that job forever because now they're under the thumb of somebody else. Mm-hmm. You got to build a brand learn this skill, then go and teach other people this skill. And that's when you start teaching the community, you start engaging with the community that builds your brand, that builds insulation. It builds connections. When this job doesn't work out, somebody's like, Oh yeah, I learned this from you. Right? Like one of my students, Corey Mullahan, uh, he did this tutorial on gambesons creating uh, padded armor basically. And that helped him get a job because he's in the job interview and they're like, Oh yeah, you're that guy that did that that padded armor, that Gamutson tutorial and Marvelous Designer, I used that on this project. And next thing you know, he's hired. Yeah. You know? So we have to be thinking about ourselves as more than the skills that we have. And I think that's the problem that we as creatives have. It's, it's actually fundamental to our existence because we must dive in deep into our skill, develop that skill, and then we bring all that capacity back up to the surface to say, hey, I can do this. But, but what we brought back up is not the core of who we are. That's just the end product. The core of who we are as creatives is we are somebody who will dive deep, who will put the time in, who will digest, who will go into that dark wood and discover new stuff. That's, that's the core of who we are as creatives. And that's our core capacity. That's the capacity that's going to create a brand and create revenue for us and create future jobs for us when AI and machine learning, I mean, machine learning now is doing stuff with 3d faces Mm -hmm. that blows my mind. And so are we in a world where Vamal and Hossein and these guys are going to, going to be the best facial digital sculptors what we are now but what's going to happen in five years you know can i just feed a bunch of frames to the computer and it outputs jean claude van damme yeah it's gonna happen i mean just a question yeah 
Look at those deep face. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! So awesome! Yeah, it's so great. But yeah. uh, there's it, one I there's one I like a uh, control shift face. I'm yeah. actually subscribed to his Patreon, and um, and he's just unreal. So is stuff. he? So that guy, he's like the main guy doing this, right? Uh-huh. And um, all those YouTube virals is most likely from control shift face, and it's yeah. just one guy. I feel like it's like a whole government. <laughs> I know. Right? That's just putting these out just to make usher in a new new world right here. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I completely agree with you. This is some. Uh, this is a skill set that most developers kind of forget. That personality, right? So um, we're talking mm-hmm. about game education. We're in a weird phase right now. I don't know if you agree. Where a, a lot of like a traditional uh, game art schools, at least I grew up with the Art Institute, and uh, there was a phase that there was a lot of these schools kind of offering game programs that you know honestly wasn't any good, right? As expected, mm-hmm. and they closed down rightfully so because they were kind of not delivering on the goods. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, there's like this onslaught of uh, interest of for game development, right? With the streamers, with the YouTube, there's a huge amount of um, awareness of games uh, actually being made by people now more than ever. So there's a whole lot more students um, wanting to learn, but the traditional schools aren't really there. Maybe we have like the universities here and there, but you know, here, mm-hmm. just, pepper here and there but i i largely equate it to like the wild west right now with game education and the only yeah. thing i feel that differentiates one school from another are the branding is the branding the personalities like who's teaching it who's running mm-hmm. it right because to me it, mm-hmm. it, it gives that uh extra oomph of uh, differentiality that actually matters to me right your experience how do you talk yeah. what your belief is um, because mm-hmm. if I'm just going into learning to some substance painter from uh, a no face, uh, it doesn't feel as real. It doesn't feel as, uh, mm. uh, especially a lot of these tutorials, you look at the resume, they never worked anywhere. It's like, oh, why should I? <laughs> We're right. learning techniques and you don't even know if it's uh, applicable in a, in an actual game yeah. setting. Right. And that's really dangerous. Totally. So what is yeah. your, uh, we're ushering a new decade, right? 2020. Um, what is your outlook for the next three to five years on game education? Uh, let's just circle it into the United States. We do have international listeners out there. But just mm-hmm. United States wise, like I'm pretty uncertain. I know we have a lot of online communities such as yours um, that is doing great game education. Um, but I wonder if, if that's if that is the, the future. Uh, it's just like these online communities kind of teaching each other and just no, no real like uh, big player, uh, like a university yeah. or something. Because um, the only thing, just sorry to keep going off tangent. The only thing that I've heard that has been like the biggest thing in a university was uh, offering a pro pro gamer um, uh, scholarship at like uh, USC or something. Uh, Mm. And that was making headlines yeah, before right. game development, right? So that's a whole different thing. It's <laughs> really odd. I know you tell people you tell people you work in games, and they're like, "Oh yeah, didn't that guy make a million? And you're like, <laughs> "Which one of my friends made a million? Yeah. Shit, yeah. right?" Because yeah. like I remember the story when I when I was working at Nomen. I remember the story of the artist who's like he bought a Ferrari with his bonus from Blizzard, oh, man, and like. 
you know, those, so I'm like, who did that? And then it took a while and it was like, oh my God, that's right. This, they're talking about some Fortnite, some esports thing. Yeah. And, uh, so they just don't understand it. And, but that's the way it's been. And that's why this industry is so ill served by traditional education. And it's because I, you know, it's just, it's not their focus. Right. And, and it's so new. So I would say, and the reason, I mean, I, I saw some of this stuff coming up. I'd been training students for nine years now. Um, I saw that when I did, like, for example, when we built UArts, we built UArts and we built it as like a, a class warehouse. Um, and, you know, the goal was to, to build this out and cr- offer a whole bunch of classes and, and give people a whole bunch of room to grow that would match beat traditional education. And what I discovered was 50% of the people or more don't show up for classes. Mm-hmm. They just buy it. Mm-hmm. And that got under my skin. And, you know, because it wasn't about building a business that made revenue and, you know, like that's how I didn't get into business for that. Again, I was an accidental entrepreneur. I got into it for my, for a mission. I wanted to make a difference. So when 50% of the people don't show up, and they, and they don't even turn in homework. They don't do anything. I was like, something's wrong here. I'm not, I'm not happy. Somebody else would be happy with this system. And I'm sure there's a, a you can build a beautiful um, school out of it and make a difference in the world, but I couldn't. And um, so, you know, we shut that down and we looked for what the next path was. And the basic question I was trying to answer was what's going to, what's going to help somebody get a job, keep a job. And, you know, enjoy the job for an extended period of time. And what we landed on is, is kind of a simple framework, uh, which is what we use in, in the boot camps. It's what I train by religiously today. And that's that um, we, we, number one, we have to remember that what we're doing is you're training for a job. There's somebody out there who wants to pay you. They don't, they don't need to. They want to pay you money to do this job. They want to. Um, intentionally purposefully give you money so that you can survive do something you love and they want to do that why do they want to do that they want to do that because somebody's going to pay them money to achieve something through a product or something like that and they figured out how to make you know this stuff work it's a job you've got to figure out what that person needs right and so the way we talk about it in the boot camp is there's two there's a there's a graph and it goes in two dimensions okay a normal xy graph on one side, there's the breadth. There's the breadth of what you can achieve. So if we look at stylized characters, for example, you've got to be able to do a base, sculpt the hands, sculpt the head, sculpt clothing, do the low res, you got to do the texture, and you got to pose it. So those are the eight phases, let's say. All right. So those are eight things. You have to be able to do all of those to get a job in games um, doing stylized work. Now, if you want to work at high res or you want to work at blizzard you know each one of those studios you need to start to be able to do each stage better right your blocking needs to be better quicker your hands need to be better quicker if you want to work at blizzard you got to be top notch in all of those things if you want to sculpt in miniatures you actually only need to know six of those things you only need to know head uh, block in hands head clothing and, and really that's it. You got no four, let's say. So where do you want to work? What do you want to do? What's your North star as in your studio? 
So that's what I always ask people to do. Find out who your North Star is because that's going to reverse engineer everything. And everybody always says, I want to work at Naughty Dog. Why do you want to work at Naughty Dog? Is this just a pissing contest? Are you just trying mm-hmm. to say, you know, I'm doing this because I, I want to be the greatest, you know? Well, how are you going to get there, right? What's your focus? And, and how can we be intentional about developing ourselves as creatives, as, you know, entrepreneurs, and as people who, you know, uh, are controlling our own destiny, you know? And, and so I always ask, what's your North Star? So if you want to work at Blizzard, okay, well, here's the things that you got to do. You got to do these eight things and you got to do it this well. So when we talk about the next uh, three years, it's basically fits within that framework. We got to know what are the things that people are going to be wanting within three years. So one of the things that's coming up now is artists should know some programming for the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's not a it's a it's something to learn but it's not a pain so learn python and there's plenty of free sources to teach that but it's what we're starting to introduce now because our we know that in the future artists are going to need it they're going to need it to interface with machine learning programs and they're going to need to become their own tech artists to some extent so so they got to do these eight things plus nine they got to learn some coding okay mm-hmm. do they need to be able to code in machine language like you know uh ofer Ofer is the primary developer of ZBrush. And so he's like my primary source to understand um, programming. Uh, and he's, cr- he's crazy. Like what he achieves is, you know, out of this world. Um, so there's parts of ZBrush that, as I understand it, are machine coded. Like he's writing in machine language, which is the language other programs are compiled down into. And he is subverting certain Windows management routines so that they operate better for his program. And, you know, all of these things he's doing, do you need to be able to do all of that stuff? No, no, you don't need to be a software engineer who's dealing with databases. You need to be somebody, you know, who knows a certain level of coding to get to a certain point. And so if there's, um, if there's one shift that I see coming, um, I do think, and I, I train my artists on this all the time, proceduralism is key. You, you have to keep proceduralism in your pocket um, because proceduralism is the gateway to machine learning. Machine learning is the gateway to actual artificial intelligence. So this pathway will happen no matter what because the efficiencies are too great. The companies will do it. Like if you've seen, um, was it Promethean AI? Have you seen that? I heard of it, yeah. It's a really cool system. I don't know the mechanics behind it. Um, I just know the videos. and. You know, basically it's that system where you say, hey, I want an eight, 1980s boys room and it'll put the Star Wars poster, the Back to the Future, and it'll put yeah. all that stuff up. And then you say, I want it to be messy and it'll make everything off axes, right? And you think about that one process of making something messy. Uh, making something messy is a procedural process. What is messy? Messy is simply a certain amount of things off axes with a certain variance. This is procedural, Right. So if I was to go in and make a room messy, a 3D room messy, I would do a series of procedural things I can train a computer to do. That kind of stuff is going to just become automated. It's going to take some time. Um, So what we have to be thinking about is, number one, uh, where do I want to work? What do they need? What are their needs? And I need to first off, get my foot in the door. So if, I, if I'm if i in the industry already, that's a different question. But if I'm looking at this and I'm like, 
hey, I want to be a game artist. I love what these guys are talking about here. I love what Brendan's talking about here in this podcast and all these things, these people that you bring on. And, and I'm looking at this and I'm like, I want to be one of these people. Well, training for the job is different than doing the job is what I tell my people. Because yeah. the first thing you have to do is you have to attract somebody's attention. That's it. Whatever attracts attention, that's what you got to do. You got to be the shiny object. Then you got to worry about keeping your job. That's, that's different. The first thing is, what do I do that attracts attention and help somebody see that, you know, <coughs> I'm a job candidate. Um, I have capacity. That's it. You know, just focus on that and don't get too caught up on all the crazy stuff that's coming. Um, you know, cause there's, there's going to be time, I think. Uh, and there's difficulties and I mean, you know, I know plenty of people that have been, um, phased out of the technology, um, I'm constantly getting phased out of the technology. It's harder and harder for me to teach this stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's kind of the stuff I love to do. Like I love to learn this. I love to learn the frameworks of it. Um, you know, so I stay in it for that. Uh, but there's a million ways for us to think about our brand and our business outside of us being the ones that execute, you know, cause, uh, and I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, I think it's Tim. Uh, Chamfer Zone is an example of somebody who's kind of gone out and expanded um, his brand to include all kinds of other activities and now started to serve not just as the warrior, but as the leader. And I think this is this is the transition I've had to make as a creative. And it's the thing that I think is important for anybody exploring the entrepreneurial journey. You have to understand that being the artist is what might get you interested. It might be your first stage of validation, but you will die on that battlefield. Yeah. Guaranteed. You need to be a leader that has a vision and that is, is providing a framework for, you know, all the stuff that you've already experienced, you know, and use that as the foundation for, for your product. You know, don't just trade your time for dollars in an activity that, now, you know, it used, you used to get paid $45 now to do it, but now I can get somebody to do it for $10 and they're actually better. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the reality today. So why would you want to die on that battlefield? Don't reframe your thinking and stop being this person who's fighting for this other person's dollar. That's, that's a, that's a lose, lose, elevate yourself, elevate your vision of yourself and try to find a way that you can become a leader for this problem. And that's, that's where I've, that's what I've been struggling to do. Cause it's really hard to transition from artist to leader. Like I'm reading this book, um, which I never expected to like, it's called, um, bury my heart in conference room B. And, um, my brother gave it to me. My brother, like he runs dental offices. He's very much a business guy. And I was like, I don't know if I want to read any book. My brother recommended to me, <laughs> um, <laughs> But it is an amazing book that talks about how you build culture in companies and how you transition from being this person that's just going to be out there and die on the battlefield to being this person that's leading other people and, and helping pave, pave a path for their glory and yours too. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. Um, you're talking about your going your utmost ability, and we were talking about at the very beginning. You only have a little bit, a limited amount of time uh, to for your output, and the best way to do that is to two x three x it by involving other people. That's where the partnership kind of thing, mm. uh, you know, the naturally danger. the danger of that. But if you do it right, you know, you yeah. you tend to kind of give up responsibility, which is another scary thing and letting other people thrive as uh, not just your goal, but their goals as well. And it's something it's phases, man. I wish this was more part of our, and what you are doing is a great service to a lot of game developers out there. Part of our Mm -hmm. game education, because the four to five year thing is real. You get outdated really quick. Sure. You want to go to naughty dog, but why don't you talk to that naughty dog guy <laughs> doing the job that you want and ask him how he feels, right? Uh, I think a lot of students just 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 look at one yeah. step ahead and not look at themselves. You know, when they're thirty or forty, do you really mm-hmm. want to still be a naughty dog? You know, they, everyone crunches like crazy, right? So um, yeah. it, it's it's something that uh, I feel like only services like yours can that really care about the students to have the relativity mm-hmm. to, to kind of express these knowledge to them. Uh, I feel like a lot of the online schools, there's a lot of them just teach the mm-hmm. techniques and just move on, which is uh, I, I think a huge failing, um, a, a huge yeah. disservice because it's dishonest. I it's uh, our industry is not that strong where once you're in, you're good, right? Come on, come on. Right. I mean, what we're doing, uh, uh, on a lot of these cases here is to uh to demonstrate to students that um you got to have the overall perspective go out there you know build up that skill set but also uh build up your brand so you differentiate mm-hmm. and it is like you said much easier to come into an interview with the art station community or whatever that people have actually come across you like just like that you're like one-upping your competitor uh based yeah. on your personality not just solely on your oh. work huge yeah ross and baxter you, is a good example of this he, he runs the a podcast student art podcast and um and he started when he was a student mm-hmm. you know no validation at all so start now you know like People like yourself, you know, you're out there now and you're giving back to this community and sharing and creating this. And, you know, this is a fantastic thing to be doing, whether it gets monetized or not. It's like for every stage of what we want to do, um, going out, going out there and sharing stuff. Like I created a podcast and, um, you know, all of these things where you just go out there and you give, it's part of our give to the community. It just helps your brand. Exactly. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting short on time, but I do want to kind of yeah. uh, segue with that. Uh, we've had a lot of um, Unity evangelists come on the show. And I don't know, you've met a lot of these, uh, that community, but it's usually a lot of young developers that straight mm. from high school started a channel and just gathered mm-hmm. this huge community and unity just hires them to kind of help spread that community out and let people. And I look at these like 20 year olds is like, oh, my God, you Good job, but like I wish I had that guidance to kind of start young because 10 years from then, I would be in this comfortable spot of having a lot of options. And it's just something that's like, and I think in our era, our generation, 
no one told us about right no one no. really uh they always talked about like uh uh cliff Bozinski getting his lamborghini from gears of war it's like oh so that's how i can kind of get off it's like nope that world is done dude they don't hand out bonuses done. anymore <laughs> it's done no, done <laughs> <laughs> no more no more uh epic lot full of uh lambos uh that doesn't happen anymore mm-hmm. so uh yep missed that th- boat i wish i would have known that <laughs> I know with the call early Call of Duty days. If you hear those stories, oh my god, it would just melt your brain. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's a different industry now, and I think it's always falls back to um, not just games, right? Any industry to be really uh, to future proof, you just got to really concentrate on yourself, brand yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be part of just mm-hmm. another company. Don't strive to just be a part of another company's uh, branding, right? Uh, if anything, just help yourself and no matter what happens, the changing tides or whatever, uh, you'll be relevant, which is one of the main right. points, right? So, uh, Ryan, uh, I want to thank you for doing an hour of podcasting. My camera, I believe, is still, it's just hiccuping the whole time. There you go. But thank yeah. you for your patience. And uh, this is the Absolutely. part where I hand the mic over to you to uh, promote, shout out, give attention to anything that you want to. So go for it. Awesome. Yeah, no, if um, the primary thing that we do now that I could tell people about is to head over to gameartinstitute.com. And uh, we actually have the character artist and the environment artist. These are the two areas where we put an enormous amount of love in. These meet twice a week and um, we focus on building a portfolio and grinding through the process as much as possible. So that's the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, and we just started an immersive, which is a, I think it's 16 weeks, five days a week program, um, for game artists. That's going to go through this whole, I mean, we're just going to cover everything and it's an alternative to traditional education to get you into it faster, uh, cheaper, uh, with the same skill set, so that you graduate, you have the you're a job candidate for the same job as some other school that's going to take you four years and charge you. Uh, I mean, at this point, ten to twenty times the amount of what um, mm-hmm. Game Art Institute would, you know. So, uh, my focus is training game artists and giving them the tools. It's been my focus for three years. So, just come visit me at GameArtInstitute.com and apply for uh, for an interview. Awesome. So uh, for everyone that's listening, watching, just check out the description uh, links and uh, go to Game Art Institute. I want to thank you, Ryan, for coming on the show. But thank you for starting me on the journey of ZBrush. Uh, I am dead serious. (laughs) The first tutorial I got onto was yours uh, and uh, it helped me in a huge way. And as you guys can tell, tremendous educators, tremendous speaker, very motivational. And it's talking about real shit, man. So uh, I want to thank you, Ryan, for coming on. Absolutely. And uh, thank you. We got we to gotta link up sometime. <laughs> I'm throwing it out there. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. So thank sunsets, you. Uh, sunsets are great from here. So sunsets and wine, bring the family. All right. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. All right. See ya.